Welcome to Bedtime Story Adventure 2019. One chapter a day up until Christmas. Boys, are you ready? Yeah. Chapter 4 Butter Up. When James left Jenny outside the dome, his thoughts were on the lighting system and how he could tweak the sequence in his Raspberry Pi to utilize all the cool things that Benj had shown him. He reached the library and had a little time before Hugo turned up, so walked through to the computers in the children's section. There were two computers free, and James chose the one that couldn't be easily overlooked by the librarian. By default, the library machines wouldn't allow a connection to his Raspberry Pi computer. They were Windows boxes, like the ones at school, locked down to only allow access to a couple of library functions. Most of the programs that James used were designed to run on a Linux system, not Windows. That wasn't a problem, as at school they used a version of Linux that ran off a USB stick. You plugged it in, restarted the computer, and it would run Linux. About a year ago, James had copied one of the school's USB drives and made a point of testing it everywhere he went. The computers in the main library and upstairs would not boot into Linux but the ones in the children's area worked just fine. He plugged the little stick in and turned the machine off and back on again. While he waited for it to restart, he opened his bag to get the Raspberry Pi out and saw Elf's box. He took both out, plugged in the little computer via a USB cable, and opened the wooden box. His eyes went straight to the silver nib. It was beautiful, and the dragon engraving, he looked closely at it, was very similar to the one on the door beneath the dome. The computer in front of him displayed the Linux login screen. James put the nib back in the box, switched his thoughts from the dragon to the lighting, and logged into the computer. Guten Tag, James! Hugo's voice boomed out from behind, jerking him out of programming ruminations and back into the real world. Indoor voice, Hugo, James whispered loudly. We're in the library! Oh, yeah, Hugo said, in an attempt at a normal level voice. Bistuba right? James shook his head. He realised that the library might not be such a good venue to speak German with a boy who had no idea how loud his own voice was. But it was better than sitting on his bed alone at home. Marginally. He unplugged his USB stick and Raspberry Pi and restarted the computer. Let's go through to the big tables, James said, picking his stuff up and ushering the loud boy out of the children's area. Ja, zicker, Hugo said. An hour later, and James's head was filled with icks and fears and murkters. It was not flowing nicely off his tongue at all. Perhaps it was getting a little easier, though. Perhaps. And at least the lesson was over. The boys left the library together. James said goodbye, or... Auf Wiedersehen, and walked across the square to a coffee shop to meet his granddad. Like always, the old man was late. It wasn't a malicious lateness, just an unapologetic ten minutes later than they'd planned for no good reason. Still, it was good to see him. The first thing James did was to explain that he'd lost his house key. Typical kids, his granddad said with a wink. I guess you'll be wanting to borrow mine. Only for a minute, Grandad. I can get it cut over the road. At Dockerill's? Grandad's eyes lit up. Oh, good. 
I wanted to see if they've got any radiator keys. But you've already got at least two, and you don't have any radiators. Your heating's electric. Ah, yes, but you can't have too many. And you never know when they might come in handy. What if I'm round at your house, and the system pressure drops suddenly? It only took a few minutes to get a new key cut, and James's granddad bought him a new keyring torch to go with it, as well as a nice brass radiator key for himself. Never have too many torches, or penknives, or string, or radiator keys, James added with a smile. Rather than make his granddad walk all the way back out to the house, James wandered with him to a coffee shop on London Road. The old man promised to see him the next morning, but James knew that meant more like Sunday lunchtime. It was getting colder as James walked up through Preston Park. There were clouds drifting in from the north. He stopped when he was level with the old clock tower, half expecting to see Elf back from Tibet and in some kind of trouble. Or perhaps another old friend would jump down onto his shoulder and lead him towards adventure. He needed to talk to Jenny about Elf's letter and the silver nib. She would have an idea of what to do. There was nothing out of the ordinary just a few dog walkers, and a lone figure walking across the basketball courts. James trudged out of the park as the first spots of rain tapped in irregular rhythm on his coat. By the time he reached the road at the bottom of his own, the rain was coming down hard. He waited for a gap in the traffic to cross over, and saw the lone figure from the park, a hundred yards away, through the worsening rain. He knew it was the same person because of the way they walked, upright, with their arms swinging in time. There was definitely something familiar about them. There was a gap in the traffic, and he took it. He reached the pavement outside his front door, already soaked, and took a last look up and down the street, giving no tail or elf, or any other animal, at least one chance to show up. The figure from the park turned into the bottom of the road, pausing in the burgeoning downpour, then ducked into the porch of a house. James realised why he recognised them. Even though the light was fading, he was sure it was the same walk he'd seen by the dome. It was the hooded man. James splashed quickly up the steps to his front door and got out his new key. The sight of the hooded man so near his house frightened him a little. Or perhaps it was just because he was home alone. He pushed the shiny new key into the lock and tried to turn it. It wouldn't budge. He glanced back down the road and saw a figure through the rain coming up fast toward him. He pulled the key out of the lock and shoved it in again. More frantic this time, he twisted it and wiggled it at the same time. It clicked to the side, then turned smoothly. He shoved the door open, almost falling into the hallway, and slammed it behind him. Then he remembered that the hooded man had a key to his front door. He pulled the little door chain closed and hoped it would hold. Then he sank down and rested with his back to the door. There was a loud hammering on the door, and James gave a little shriek. He waited, expecting to hear the sound of a key, his key, being pushed into the lock by the hooded man. James? Jenny's voice called through the door. Are you in? James let out a huge sigh of relief, and quickly got up and opened the door. Jenny was breathing heavily and looked worried. What's wrong? they both said at the same time. Jinx, he said instantly feeling much better now that his friend was here. But the hooded man was still close. Come in, quick! He pulled an arm of her wet coat, and once she was inside, slammed the door shut and pulled the chain back across. 
I think the hooded man is following me, he said, and I got a bit freaked out. I'm pleased you're here. I saw him too, Jenny said. I came to warn you. I'm sure there's a key to the bottom lock in the kitchen drawers. We never use it, but I think it still works. They went through to the kitchen, slung their coats on the backs of chairs by the radiator to dry out, and James rummaged in a drawer for the key to the old front door bottom lock. He found it, locked the door, and then came back and put the kettle on. Jenny told him about being followed by the big crow, and its meeting with the rat. You need to look at this, James said, putting Elf's wooden box on the table. This was in the package. It's from Elf. She needs our help. Jenny opened the box and took the items out one by one. The Squiduckan key, the tooth, the badger stone, and the triple M key. What's this? She held up the silver nib. I don't know, he said. The children were silent for a while. Jenny kept reading and rereading the letter and looking at the nib. James finished making tea, then popped up to his room to change. He came down with clean clothes on and a lanyard from his desk. He took the squiduckin key. It was heavy and cold in his hand, its familiar fish-like face staring up at him. He clipped it to the lanyard and then hung it around his neck and slipped it under his t-shirt. It felt good having it back where it belonged. Through the window, he could see the rain was already easing off. So she thinks there's a royal plot, Jenny said, and some ancient stolen treasure. Any idea what that is? I hope you might know, James shrugged. He sat down and gave Jenny her mug of tea. I don't like the timing, she said, still holding the letter. It's right before the prince and princess arrive on Saturday. It can't be a coincidence. And why would she give back the Squiduckin key and the Triple M key? I guess she doesn't need them anymore, James said. Or she thinks we need them more, Jenny said. And isn't the key to the air just a myth? There's something familiar about the dragon on the nib. It's so detailed. It looks Chinese, which fits with Elf's story at least. There was something about the way that Jenny said her last words that niggled James. You think she's tricking us again? We have to consider it, Jenny sighed. She's under a lot of pressure, and she's very young. But Grouth and Rask are with her. They wouldn't mess us around. True, but we haven't got any other evidence, just Elf's words. And strange that the package turns up at the same time as the hooded man and the bird. James knew that Jenny was right to be cautious. When Elf had returned to Brighton the previous Christmas, she had lied to them in order to try and find her parents. She could be using them again. I don't think it matters, James said after a moment of thought. If there is a plot to steal the artefact back, or against the prince and princess, then there's no harm in us taking a look. And if we do stumble across the key to the air, then we can work out what to do with it afterwards. I'm not so sure, Jenny said. Bad things usually happen once we get involved in an adventure. But we have more pressing problems. The hooded man, James said. And the bird. There's something about the bird, she said. When I saw it at the pavilion, it flew right past some other crows, and it looked different. Bigger, maybe. I think it could be a rook or a raven. And it didn't fly in a normal way. You know who would know about it, James said. If there's a dealing between a crow or a rook or a raven and the rats, then the crow council would probably have an idea about it. That's just what I was thinking. Come on. The rain stopped. If we move fast, we could catch the crows before the light is completely gone, if we go on our bikes. I'm not sure I want to go out again with the hooded man around, 
James said. But I don't want to stay here on my own, either. Not now he probably knows where I live. Jenny got up suddenly. Is it likely that anyone else will try and come in while you're out, she asked. Your granddad, maybe? No, he doesn't really like coming up here, and I said I'd see him tomorrow. That's good, Jenny said. Have you got any grease? Uh, maybe, he said. There might be some in the shed. Don't worry, Jenny said, opening the fridge. I have an idea. They got ready to leave, and Jenny scraped a tiny piece of butter on the back of a fingernail. When they were outside, she smudged it on the bottom of the keyhole, rubbing the surface of any excess. You could only see the butter if you looked closely, and only if you knew what you were looking for. There, she said. Now if someone tries to get in, we'll know about it. But won't the butter melt and clog the lock? James asked. Not in this weather, she said. And it'll grease it nicely. My granddad said he used lard to grease locks years ago. James grunted agreement. He knew her granddad used to be a locksmith and had helped them out before. And at least they'd know if anyone tried to get in. When they left the house, James made sure the bottom lock was locked. He had put a couple of torches in his bag in case they needed them, along with Elf's box for safekeeping. He pulled his bike out of the coal shed. James swung his leg over the crossbar and got a pedal up and ready. Jenny counted down from three and then jumped onto the saddle as James pushed down hard on the pedal. It was a wobbly start, but after a few pedal strokes they were going along fine. Jenny balanced on the saddle, James bobbing up and down in front of her, on the roads up to five ways. A few minutes later and they were outside Jenny's. Her bike was locked in a little front garden, and she dashed inside to grab the key and drop off her dance stuff. Then they were pedalling hard up the hill through five ways, toward the hill fort, and more importantly, the twelfth hole of the public golf course. With any luck, the crows would be able to shed some light on the strange bird and the mysterious hooded man. The skies were growing dark, but not so dark as to hide the black shape of a bird, too large to be a crow, its direction too similar to the children's to be random. It flew watchfully overhead.